Welcome to Breaking Built, the podcast where we dissect the chemistry of Breaking Bad. I am Matt. And I am James. And this episode, we will be breaking down Breaking Bad episode 513 or 205. I'm still committed. I'm not 205, 605. I'm still committed. You're not that committed. Shut up. I just got confused. I didn't have my medicine. But, yes, this is episode... 513 or 605 Tohajali I think I'm saying that right we talked before we started and that sounds generally right so if I offend anyone out there I'm sorry I'm just gonna call this episode Indian word Indian word yes Uh, Tohajali of course is the Navajo word for uh, giant cock (laughs) tees because that's pretty much sums up the episode pretty nice pretty nicely or at least at the end anyway so, um, so yeah, what were your overall thoughts of this episode? Uh, I think I, you summed them up pretty eloquently just now. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more on the edge of my seat during a television show. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't just apply for the last five minutes. This entire hour was just uh, crazy. I think for me, when I started like to actually like literally physically sit up in my seat and lean forward and watch was about the time Walt got that phone call from from Jesse. But yeah, uh, other than that, uh, I thought there was a good bit of tension leading up into this, these final 15, 20 minutes, and those last 20 minutes were solid gold, and then there was the end, and... Uh, uh, why, Dean Norris? <laughs> they call Vince Gilligan the Villigan for a reason, so... So yeah, I guess uh, breakdown. See my scene. We'll go from the very beginning, like we tend to do. And in the cold opening, we see Todd, Lydia, and the Uncles of Anarchy. As I've heard other people refer to them as that, I want to keep up with it. But yeah, they're they've got Declan's. They've got Declan's meth stuff, or actually, it's Walt's meth stuff that De- Declan bought. And we saw. This is the first time we've seen him since not. I don't think we saw them at all last episode. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we did because I think the last we saw them was two episodes ago was that cold opening where they're driving back to New Mexico with the methylamine. Yeah, you'd remember those swastikas. Yeah. So and this is the first time we've seen Lydia since the shootout in the desert. So we get to see what's going on with them, and they're back in the meth-making business. And as be expected, Ty's no Heisenberg. No Heisenberg at all. He's not even a Von Braun. <laughs> hey, Von Braun, men are on the moon, or went to the moon because of Von Braun. Shut your mouth. Respect him. Even though he was a Nazi. Anyway, yeah, uh, what did you think of this whole scene that was going on? Do you think do you think it was ne- necessary to, I mean, obviously it was necessary because it, it showed that Lydia and Todd and his people were sort of, they were in a bind anyway as far as, like, the product was concerned. Uh I thought it was very fascinating to see the progression of Todd and Lydia's relationship. As as we've seen for the past uh, few episodes, they've sort of become Earth 2, Walt and Jesse. <laughs> yeah. But now we see that uh, there's something a bit more there. We see Lydia becoming more Walt-like and using uh, Todd's affection for her as a weapon. Yeah, to manipulate them with. And we also see that there might be something more than a mentor-protege relationship going on, at least on Todd's end. Yeah. I, I really did get the feeling that whatever Todd felt was obviously one-sided. I do not think Lydia... I don't think she's into the squishy face guys. That's just my... <laughs> she fucks the real Matt Damon. <laughs> um, and what did you think of the, the whole thing about the blue because do you agree with what like Lydia was saying like you know uh, it's not really so much the quality it is the look because blue is sort of established with quality it's like you know it's like putting Dr. Bob or whatever into a Dr. Pepper uh, bottle of course Dr. Bob I believe is the Walmart brand that's Dr. Thunder get your shit straight I'm sorry I'm sorry I forgot I was talking to the Walmart uh, man but yeah, I, I didn't know like what you thought about that. Like, 
is it really is that's something that I've noticed a lot of people have talked about. Like, why do they care about purity? Because they're gonna dope fiends or dope fiends or meth heads or meth heads are gonna buy it anyway. Yeah, that is a thing that's been running since the first season of the show, namely with Walt is his obsession with purity, which, as Jesse points out, is kind of ridiculous since their clientele are all meth heads. Mm-hmm. But that was just another case of Walt being a perfectionist and wanting to be the best at something even when being the best didn't matter. It seems to have – that line of thinking seems to have synced into this new operation. And I was just wondering why they couldn't just take Anarchy Uncle Number One's advice and just use food coloring. Yeah. That's what, you know, it was, Jesse wasn't above that back in season one when he was Captain Cook with the chili powder. Chili peas is sig, yo. <laughs> um, but yeah, after, let's see, after they have that discussion, obviously, you know, the uncles really, they don't, they don't give a damn about, you know, the, the, the color, the purity, even though, I believe someone's broke down like the economics before, like I think a difference in quality, you know, because the purity is the more you can cut it, step on and all this stuff, and like the just in a five percent difference in in meth like that could result in like I think a loss between fifteen and twenty million sometimes with a big enough batch. So I I think that while the focus on purity sometimes like some people don't care, but for someone like Lydia who's very analytical and stuff about the numbers and want everything right. It is a big deal to her. It's a big deal to Walt because you said pride reasons. She's doing her best to fill that hat and sunglasses. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, after they have their discussion about the purity and Todd, creepy Todd, Todd becomes creepy all of a sudden, or he becomes creepier, I'll say that. I mean, whenever he shot that kid, he seemed like a stand-up guy, but rubbing that lipstick, that was just creepy. He's sending her germs into his body. Germs or love. Love me, Lydia. But after that, he gets the phone call from Walt that we saw at the end of the last episode. And I do want to say I loved uh, Ty's ringtone for, for Walt. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. But yeah, after that after that call, they had the conversation. Like I said, we see Ty's end of the deal. And it's pretty much what everybody thought was going to happen. He's putting that kid out on Jesse Pinkman. Like, I don't know how you feel. I feel like, do you think Todd was almost too nonchalant about it, or does that, like, fit his character for him to be kind of cold-blooded? Yeah, I feel like that's just the world Todd's lived in for all of his life. I mean, we've seen his family. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I just feel like maybe there'd be a little something, because you remember Jesse, like, punched him out after he killed that boy. But, like I said, if Todd is, you know, a psychopath, whatever, detached from... The real world, real world, or whatever, he would just be all right. Whatever, you know, killing, killing Jesse's the same as you know killing that little boy in his eyes. No, Todd doesn't really have a reaction to anything. <laughs> He's just kind of a walking robot that does whatever anyone tells him to do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, can't shoot. But we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, after the opening, we uh, let's see where are we at. I think the next thing we see is Hank comes comes to his house where Jesse is. I think is this this the part with the cow brains or is this before? Yeah. I think the cow brains come later. I can't remember. Yeah, they believe it's the same sequence. Okay, but yeah, like I know they talk about how to get his money and all this stuff, and Jesse suggests Huel, of course, and he's the only. One, I guess he's the only link to find this out because you know Saul's not going to roll. Saul is. Saul don't play that. Saul don't play that, yeah. I have a feeling Kubi, played by TV's Bill Burr, would stand tall too, but it seems like like uh, maybe I guess they think Hewell's the, the weak link in the chain, so they decide to go after him. Hey, have you heard Bill Burr's comedy? I mean, he would just yell at them for four <laughs> hours straight. It would be hilarious. They couldn't arrest him. They'd be so entertained by him. He'd be so delightful. And he'd, he'd tell them truths, James. He would lay out the way of the world for them. They would be wiser for it. Why are you trying to get me a drop of dime? What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, like I said, they stage. They Hank has like cow brains. I thought at first it was like a steak. I didn't know what he was doing because I saw him throw it on the ground. I thought he was gonna make Jesse eat off the ground because <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, this is your Hank, punishment. 
Guess what? Hank was acting kind of like a dick last episode, so I didn't know what was going on. Hashtag Hank wins, bitch. <laughs> yeah, they pick up Huel and Hank tries to convince Huel that Walt killed Jesse, Walt killed Kobe, and you know Huel's next. And he shows him that picture uh, of Jesse with the cow brains, you know, doubling his own brains, and Huel flips. He 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 tumbles like a house of cards. Why are you gonna make fun of the man's weight, man? <laughs> I didn't say anything about it being fat. You said tumble, which implied a large thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lavelle Crawford, if you happen to be listening. I'm sorry. And you were funny. But yeah, how, how do you feel about that? Do you think he will maybe he went down too easy, or or what? Because I've noticed a lot, a lot of people like complaints, overall complaints about this episode, seem that certain things happen way too quickly. For some people's liking. And I think this is one of them. They felt like you know, he'll buckle too quickly. But I think I look at it from the side that he'll knows what Walt's capable of. And this seems like it's something that would very much be in his wheelhouse. Not to mention Huel's been established as not being very bright. Yeah. I mean, if anyone would roll over with minimal effort, it would be him. Do you think it's necessarily so much an intelligence thing as it is, you know, he... Like, he doesn't want to hurt anybody because, like, you know, he – him and him and Kubi, Saul's guys, they're not necessarily muscle. They're more con men. You know, who uh, Kuehl's a pickpocket and Kubi, you know, he's – like I said, he's just a flat-out general con man. Maybe they're just not built to, you know, to that kind of violence. Maybe that's why Huel did like he did. I don't know. I would say so. Yeah. By the way, I was just happy to finally see Huel get his moment in the sun. He finally emoted, although he kind of <laughs> had a little emotion when Jesse had the gun on him a couple episodes ago. But This is actually a backdoor pilot for his spinoff. <laughs> More fuel for Huel. <laughs> I would like to see that. I heard someone had the idea that Huel, his his pilot starts with him in the safe house. Like, wondering when Hank and Gomez is ever going to come back. It's just him. Every episode is him in that house. Sitting around watching TV, grunting occasionally. Oh, one thing too is I noticed Hank. I don't know if you noticed this, but Hank has a flip phone in this. No smartphone for Hank, but that of course I think that's, that that sits pretty well with like the show's time frame because this would be sometime in late 2008 or mid 2009. I think I'm not sure exactly when the pilot was supposed to take place, but this is around. 16 to 15 months, I think, after after the pilot. So that's like 2007, 2008. So the smartphones haven't blown up yet. So Plus, I assume Hank fears technology. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's see. After that, one thing that I noticed, well, despite being kind of, you know, big parts in the latest episodes, but, like, Skylar isn't really in this episode much, but I think that's, that's sort of fair with it being like a cast like this. People... The characters weaving out of episodes as the plot requires. That didn't really bother me too much. I thought she was she did a good enough job in what she was here for. But I think right, isn't it right? The next scene we see is at the car wash where Saul comes in and Walt Junior crosses another character. Like don't now the only like big character he has to interact with is Jesse Walt Junior because he finally interacts with Saul. And the this scene is like, we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, I liked how uh, Walt Jr. was starstruck, kind of, when he saw <laughs> He saw. was so taken with him. Like, that's a man who practices law. I, I, I didn't notice this, but when Saul gets his car washed, he pays for it with a $50 bill. And that's sort of a callback to, I think, season four, when they were getting ready to buy the car wash. Saul or uh, Skylar mentions like how hard it is to launder money. Uh, with $50 bills because no one uses $50 bills. And I thought, you know, him paying with a 50 was kind of a nice touch that I guess maybe that's how Saul launders his money. He goes around like to Burger King or whatever and pays for things with 50s. He gives them to the Girl Scouts. Yeah. He hurls wads of cash at homeless people. <laughs> that's Jesse's routine. Well, one thing I forgot to mention in the previous scene was... Uh, whenever Huel mentions that the van was covered in dirt, 
and you see that look on Hank's face. I swear to God, there was a split second where I was like, he's going to take Gomez outside and say, he said that there was dirt in the bottom of that van. You know what dirt's made of? Minerals. <laughs> Hank was going to use his knowledge of minerals to track down the exact location of the money. Oh, that'd be, that would have been what got Walt. You, you know, you joke about that, but I did think, actually think something like that. I guess watching CSI and stuff like, well, maybe they can take the like a sample of the dirt and you know zero in to what part of the desert it's from. I kind of did assume that they were going to do something similar to that. Yeah. But, uh... That's, but yeah. We're, they're saving that for Mineral Man, the spell. Yeah. Or maybe, like, he could have licked, like, Hank could lick the dirt. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he knows exactly where it's at. Using his Apache tracking techniques. <laughs> That's why they had the Indian name for the episode. Yeah, makes sense. Hank becomes in touch with his Native American heritage. He is 182nd Cherokee, so... Good for him. His people call him Bald Dog. <laughs> the Bald Bitch. Which is a term of endearment. Ah, oh, shit, I forgot. This is before all this happens. Shit. There are two everybody, scenes I forgot. Everybody stop the podcast and rewind. Two scenes I forgot where he's with the uncles of Anarchy and when he goes to visit Andrew and Brock. Shit. Uh, this is what happens when you don't take notes, I guess. <laughs> God damn it, Johnson. But we would just say that, uh, go over those briefly. For me, anyway, the key points I thought in those scenes were, uh, in the, with, when he's meeting with the uncles of anarchy and Tide, Walt kind of loses his power. The, like the mystique and the aura he had as Heisenberg, I feel like, evaporated. Uh, because they because it's just one guy and now they know he needs help killing one guy in his eye, in their eyes Walt's weak you know the like I said the whole myth of Heisenberg kind of got deflated in that scene that conversation with him what do you think about that yeah you really see like you said the the mask of Heisenberg peel back you know, they, these people believe that Walt is this fucking Kaiser Soze larger than life figure but they see him as just this sad old guy in a chair saying, oh, kill him, but but, but don't hurt him. Yeah. And as, as has been repeated many times by various characters, Jesse is always going to be Walt's biggest weakness. Yeah. And we see even after he's made the move to kill Jesse, Jesse is still a weakness for him. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the most important thing, I guess, from this meet, also besides the power, is that Walt agrees to cook with them. You know, if they kill Jesse, in exchange for killing Jesse, he will cook. He says once, but I'm pretty sure everybody watching knows that there's no way in hell it's just going to be a one-off kind of thing. They're going to try to get as much from him as possible, which I find kind of interesting because it feels like it's a conflict because we see earlier that, like I said, they don't give a damn about the purity of the myth, but all of a sudden they change their tune uh, in the course of like 20 minutes or whatever it takes to get to the scene. They know that that's what Lydia wants. Yeah. Lydia gets what she wants, I guess. With her coffee. Yeah. That's like her, that's her character's one signature. She's always drinking coffee nervously. That's her version of the hat and sunglasses. <laughs> they see yeah. her bring up that coffee cup they know shit's on um, she didn't have it with her when they killed Declan but here or there. she had it in her purse probably good luck charm but yeah uh, and then he sort of tries to bait he sort of tries to bait Jesse out of hiding by going to visit Andrea and Brock and this whole scene with Andrea the thing I noticed the most of that was like kind of like the way Brock was looking at Walt during the thing. Do you think I – I don't think he knows about what Walt did to him, but I think maybe he's got like a, a bit of intuition or sixth sense because I've always heard that kids and like animals and stuff are real good about like picking up on like bad people supposedly. I don't – you know, I've always heard that. I don't know if it's just like a uh, old wives tale or what. 
Yeah, well, we still don't know how exactly Walt poisoned Brock. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible he would have given him something, and maybe Brock suspects something. Yeah. What interests me about this scene is it goes back to the theme of both characters hitting the other where they live. <laughs> and yeah. with Jesse, it's Andrea and Brock, but with Walt, it's his money. But I think that was a very deliberate parallel there. Um, Did you get the feeling, too, that like Jesse and Andrew, they like they didn't split up on bad terms necessarily? Because she, he obviously was still calling in to check up on Brock, and I think they implied, too, that he was giving them money, you know, providing yeah. for him. So I didn't think that was necessarily – you know, he still cares about him, even though he followed Walt's advice and got rid of him. Well, they only did that so because he did care about them. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, he, of course, lies to Andrea. And he leaves a message with with Jesse's Hello Kitty phone that Hank picks up and pretty much calls bullshit on it right away. And so with that said, what do you think was the whole point of this scene? If Or is this something that you think this is – was just something to check in on these characters or is this something that they're setting up for later? With, with uh, them coming back into the fold. I think it might be both. I think it might just be a narrative thing of reminding you that these characters are here since they haven't really made an appearance this season. Mm-hmm. So that if at some point in the finale they're brought in, it's not out of left field. Also, like I said earlier, I think it was a deliberate, a deliberate move to show uh, where Walt and Jesse's hearts are. Because... Yeah. Like I said, after this scene, we immediately get Walt frantic over Jesse threatening to burn some of his money. Yeah. Which is uh, which he says is for his family, but yeah, he's he seems far more offended at the idea of Jesse taking something he's earned yeah. than his family not having money. Um, and another thing too, of course, is that by going to Andrew and Brock's house, Walt has led the Uncles of Anarchy to a house to people that he knows Jesse cares about. Now they know Jesse cares about these people. So I don't know what's going to happen in the next few episodes, but it could be a potential card for them to play. Whatever's going to happen with Jesse, I don't know. I did enjoy uh, the new theme that every episode has to have somebody saying, nice try, bitch, then hanging up. (laughs) I'm sorry, nice try, asshole. As long as they say nice try. That's going to be Saul's line in the next episode. <laughs> then Walter Jr. Finally, Huel picks up the phone. Nice try, asshole. <laughs> Drives off to Mexico. And that's how Fuel for Huel begins. <laughs> um, one more scene ahead back at the car wash. Uh, after Saul comes in, pays for things with the 50 him and him and Walt, they talk. And I like like the way the, the the scene was shot with while they're talking, you can see in the background Saul's cheesy billboard they got above the car wash. That was his and, cut. Yeah. <laughs> um and he tells him that, you know, Hill's gone missing, he don't know what's going on. And I think that's pretty much the long and short of the conversation. Like he mentions how Hill's gone. Walt says, okay, you know, I don't really care. And then as Saul leaves, Walt gets a phone call, and that's when this episode really jumps into high gear. That's when shit gets real. Yeah, it's Jesse on the phone, and he's saying he's found Walt's money. And he's going to burn it all if he doesn't get there. And I guess, obviously, this is what was the cryptic message from the last episode where hit him where he really lives and I guess you know the pocketbook which is you know one of the many theories people out there had and definitely is a case of Occam's razor where you know the most simplest explanation is usually the right right one but what, what did you what did you think of this whole scene from just from the way it was shot like you know we never see Jesse we only see Walt in his desperate uh He's in desperate. He's desperate and panic, racing, you know, out of town towards the desert. Uh, what did you just think about this this whole scene in general? 
I think this is a scene where we really get to see all of Walt's posturing and the false front that Walt always wears stripped away. For just a minute, we see what Walt's really about, which is, don't touch my fucking money. <laughs> um, did you realize at all, or did you know, like, going into it, that this was, it was a script? Did you, did you catch, there were a few things I caught that made me think that Jesse was reading the script when he was talking to Walt. Yeah, he did seem, there's something about the sentence structure that yeah. didn't seem Jesse-like. Not only that, but I also noticed when he was talking to him, he called him Walt, or Walter. Yeah. He didn't call him Mr. White. So I assumed either, like, you know, Jesse's gotten pissed enough to where he can finally get out of his, you know, his mindset where Walt has dominance over him, or he was reading a script from Hank. Yeah, but it was fascinating to see Walt and Jesse have the conversation about Brock, even though it was completely one-sided. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Walt is talking to Jesse, going through the desert, and Jesse, like I said, he starts telling him about this stuff, and then Walt just snaps, and he starts laying it out. He confesses to all this stuff that he's done in the name of protecting Jesse. He killed Emilio Crazy Eight, the two gangbangers from season three. Even he confesses to killing Gus and... Even the same, he even says, you know, about killing Brock. The only thing he doesn't lay out on the table is Jane, which really kind of surprised me that they didn't go that, you know, they pulled up short of that. It kind of surprised me. I think that's still the one thing Walt's not willing to admit to. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, uh, did you also get the feeling that uh, Maybe the entire point of this scenario was just to goad Walt into confessing over the phone. Yeah, and I got that, but the one thing – I feel like the one scene we needed the most was to show that he confessed. Like I wanted to see like later on Hank have like a recorder and play back Walt's rant, you know, but they didn't do that. I wish they would have done that just to show you that they recorded it because uh, we might – We'll get to it in a minute, but about, like, the legality of some of this stuff that, that they're doing. But uh, um, one thing, too, is during, like, Walt and Jesse's conversation on the phone, I was I was thinking, you know, any minute now, Walt's going to figure out that this is a trap. Uh, something Jesse's going to say will give him away, some kind of way, because Walt is, you know, he, on top of being smart, he's lucky, and... Well, like we mentioned, how Jesse's sentence structure seemed off. The fact that he called him Walt for seemingly the first time, and I even heard, I even seen someone say they thought maybe that when he mentioned how he was setting Walt's money on fire and how it had a you know orange flame to it, like no, that's not right. Money blow when money burns, it goes you know blue. He's a chemist after all; he would know that. So something would tip him off, is what I thought. But as they point out later, Walt's so blinded with greed that he d even he doesn't yeah. miss, doesn't catch these obvious things. That's true. And the greed, now, I feel like, yeah, it's greed, obviously, he wants that money, but I honestly think that, I think it's a little bit more than greed. I think it kind of goes back to what Skylar said in the last episode, where, you know, if Walt has all his money burned... Then, what what was all this for? This it would make all the horrible things he's done, you know, all the the shit that he's been through, it would render it virtually pointless. At least with the money hidden somewhere, he can one day pass it on to his children. No matter what happens to him, there's still a way to make good by you know for somebody to provide for somebody. And Jesse burning that would negate it and. Like I said, I think to me almost that that's as important as the greed aspect with the fact that you want to make all this matter for something. That, and I know that Walt's greatest desire is to leave something behind. Yeah. Not even necessarily for his family, but just to have some mark that he was here. Yeah. Which you could argue is what this entire series has been about.
just a man who was denied an empire trying to leave something behind. I mean, yeah, there you go. You know, he couldn't have Grey Matter, so he, you know, built up a myth empire. And I think even in the end, it's not even the myth empire that matters. It's you know, that stack of cash because that was something he created. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. His hard work, something he did, uh, not by himself, but essentially he built from the ground up by himself. Uh, but yeah, uh, back to the episode. We see Walt arrive at the place where he buried his money, and nobody's there. He he knows nobody's there, and he starts looking around confused, and then he starts to see a car coming towards the desert, and he thinks it's Jesse, so he pulls out his phone, calls up Uncle Jack, not see Uncle Jack. Uh, he calls him up and says, Jesse's here, you know, I'm at the name drop, the the Tohajali Indian Reservation, you know, you know, and he gives him the coordinates off the lottery ticket that... GPS coordinates. He's here. Come get him. And I think halfway through the conversation, like the car stops, the door opens, and he sees Hank and Gomi stepping out with Jesse. And he tries to get Jack to call it off. And then I believe he crushes his cell phone then because you know, GPS track or whatever. But how did you think they followed Walt? Did they do GPS? Did they tail him? Or what exactly do you think they did to to get him out there, or to get I, out there with him? I assume they just tailed him. I, I was wondering that, or because you know, with him talking on the cell phone, uh, it would be the easiest thing in the world to track him through a phone, especially you know with the way GPS and stuff like that is nowadays. I'm pretty sure like the DEA has like some like small handheld device they can do shit like that with, and it'd be very easy for Hank or. Gomez to get, I thought, but Hank has a wide variety of Batman gadgets. Yeah, <laughs> but again, that's something else that I wish they would have. I don't need to see everything, have everything explained to me, but there's just some little things that I wouldn't mind, you know, especially with your with it leading to something big like Walt getting captured. I feel like there should be just a little bit more, not too much, but I mean, I'm fine with drawing my conclusions my own conclusions to a lot of different stuff, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just being nitpicky. Stop being nitpicky, Matt. Respect the chemistry. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, after Hank, and I hate shit, Walt hides in the desert for a little bit. Looks like he actually starts crying when he sees they followed him to the money. Did you think, what did you think was up with that, with him maybe crying? I think that was just Tim realizing the jig was up. So, yeah, that's what I always felt like. He seems like one of those guys that when it does happen, and it fits his character perfectly, but he's not sorry. He, uh, what he, he's not sorry about what he did. He's sorry that he got caught. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what he's more or less sad about. But also, did you feel a very strong parallel to the ending of the first episode? Uh, in, like in what way when? With Walt in the desert. With the gun. With a gun. And the police coming for him. Or at least he thinks. Just Walt. Just Walt knowing that the jig is up and this is where it's all going to end. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating to think back to that scene and then compare it to this one and the two completely different reactions. That's true. And I kind of like that too. I was going to say, because Jesse does say later, this is exactly the place where they had their first cook. Yeah. With the cow houses, they're somewhere down the road. You know, where the cows live. Uh, and I thought, one thing too, is <clears throat> I thought it was kind of interesting. It looked like for a minute there, he was contemplating doing the old uh, suicide by cop routine. To where, you know, he runs out, gun blazing, and Hank and Gomez would have no choice but to gun him down. But I guess he decided not to do that. Even I don't know any, any kind of form of suicide. I mean, I know it's too easy, too it's too soon to speak. But just you know, any kind of form of suicide would be beneath him. Yeah, Walt is too in love with himself to kill himself. Yeah, even like that, that style. But uh, but yeah, he turns himself in. Hank snaps the bracelets on him, and 
the next, I think, five minutes, the way this whole plays out, there was just this gigantic pit of dread in my stomach. Because you know something bad's about to happen. Everybody watching knows something bad is going to happen. The uh, second, Yeah, the second Walt tells them to call off the hit, you know any minute now they're yeah. going to come up the road and shit's going to yeah. go down. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they, he, he puts them in handcuffs, they turn around, and there's that great little moment where both Walt and Jesse look at each other with such loathing, and you know, Walt very much, uh, I wouldn't say shades, but I felt like he was kind of reminiscent of, like, you know, Gus's whole, you know, what man talks to the DEA kind of speech when he looks at Jesse and just is coward. That's yeah, it was a very, a very similar vibe there. Yeah, I also noticed some people comparing like, uh, like shots and stuff, with, like him turning himself in, walking towards Walt and uh, not Walt, Hank and Gomez kind of mirrored Gus walking into the nursing home when he got blown up. But, but I digress. And like Walt calls Jesse a coward. Jesse just hawks a gigantic loogie on him because that's what you do. And Walt responds in kind. <laughs> he he was dedicated to fighting Jesse, even so he couldn't <laughs> fight him with any arms, but he was going to fight. He was going to kick ass. He was going to bite him. Yeah. Uh, and, like I said, this whole time that they're sitting there, like there's a part of my, my, me that's just yelling, go, just go, don't call Marie, don't gloat, don't wave at Walt like a jackass, just get in that car, get the hell out of here, all of you. And when they talked about how maybe they were going to split up, like, you know, Gomez and Jesse were sitting there. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I don't, you know, you know I thought Walt and Hank were going to get away. And then the Uncle's Anarchy would show up and just blow Jesse and Gomez away. But it didn't come out that way. It came out much, much worse. Much, much worse, yes. So they show up, Walt's in handcuffs in the back seat of the car. When they show up and, uh, surprise, surprise. The neo-Nazis come loaded for bear. You've got about, what, eight guys with body armor and automatic weapons. Uh, I noticed not Uncle Jack, but the other guy, the other, like, Jack's buddy, he had what's called an AA-12. And what you don't know what that is, that is an automatic shotgun. And it's been known, it can, like, fire, I think, 50 to 60 rounds per minute of shotgun shells. And, but they've got all this stuff, and they're coming yeah, to stand out. I was going to say, I was very impressed by their armory at their neo-Nazi base. Like, they were like a SWAT team. Like I said, they're, they're right-wing neo-Nazis. Obama ain't taking their guns, James. <laughs> um, but I, I love like the like the camera angles and stuff when they all start pulling out their weapons in the slow zoom. Or not, not the slow, but the quick zoom on like Gomez, Hank, and like the, the Uncles of Anarchy, the way they zoom into them. I thought, I thought that was good stuff and that standoff. Uh, and I noticed, like, they kept, like Jack kept yelling for them to show them their badges if they were DA. Did you think would you, would you, that was just him trying to distract them? Because as soon as they, like, lowered their guns, they were going to get blown away. Did you think that's what was going to happen? Yeah, I don't think Jack was very concerned with identification. Yeah, I didn't think so either. You show me your... FBI badge. I'll show you my neo-Nazi badge. Then we'll have a lovely conversation. <laughs> um. So yeah, big surprise, but a bunch of guys with guns in the standoff. It it goes bad. I forgot who shoots first. I want to say it was the Jack's buddy who shot first, or Jack himself. I can't remember. But they opened fire. Hank and Gomi opened fire and. All of a sudden, everybody becomes stormtroopers in Star Wars. <laughs> Todd, who we've seen, you know, shoot a boy from like what 10, 15 yards away with the with the pistol, suddenly, you know, he's like pew pew pew, you know, holding his gun with the most awkward stance I've you know ever seen anyone with a gun. And oh. they can't, you know, they can't shoot shit. And all of a sudden, well, you know, Hank just. Bathed in Schrodenbrow, the Schrodenbrow before the shootout, so it's all deflecting. Yeah, that Musk. Nobody wants to shoot Gomez because they don't want to be accused of being racist. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing neo-Nazis care about, it's propriety. (laughs) 
Exactly. Um, but yeah, as the shootout st- continues, Walt's laying in the, although laying in the SUV, yelling, "Jack, call it off, call it off." We see Jesse kind of like, I don't know. I felt like right before the shit went bad, I noticed he was like searching for the door handle on the car. I wonder if he was going to get out of there, but we we don't see what happens. Uh, like I said, Walt's yelling and kind of stupid, but the neo Nazis are just laying into that SUV where Walt's at. They know Walt's in there. They're just laying into it with gunfire. And Walt's yelling, searching, like getting low, trying to avoid getting shot. And then we go to Black. It cuts to Black. Vince Gilligan's name. The fuck? Gilligan. Come on. Little buddy. Come on. I I know this isn't like anywhere near close, but I kind of empathize now with... uh, Soprano fans, because I, I I've never seen the Sopranos, but from what I know, that would yes, I I got a little taste of what they went through all those years ago, a little bit, just a little taste. Well, at least we get another part. Yeah, um, but but like I said, I think for me anyway, overall the episode was very enjoyable. Uh, tension highs, lows. Uh, I felt like some of the stuff. Some of the plot and plot elements weren't as tight as they have been before in the history of the show. Yeah, but I think at this late in the game, with as much ground as they have to yeah. cover in only a few episodes, you can forgive little things yeah. like that. Like, I'd say the biggest leap I feel was how quickly Uncle Jack and his crew got from where it was they were to the middle of nowhere. You know, I understand that their base is probably set up in the middle of nowhere, but. I mean, we don't know how far they are. It took them, I think, if we're doing that whole scene in real time, they would have gotten, they would have loaded up, gotten in the cars, and got there in about 10 minutes' time, in real time. Yeah, I did think that was a bit odd, but. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of those TV things where. Yeah. You can't, even when something is, seems to be in real time, there's still uh, small uh, leaps in time. Which is fine. I mean, like I said, it was to me it was a bit of a stretch. Uh, this isn't like something that's gonna, you know, or I don't think it's gonna ruin my enjoyment of the episode. It's just one of those. It's it's this term I've heard of called fridge logic, to where like you in the confines of watching the TV, the episode, you're wrapped in it, you're enthralled, you don't think about it. But then like thirty minutes later, when you're standing at the fridge getting some to eat or something to drink, you think, wait a minute. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, once you think about it. But nobody in New York saw the Statue of Liberty come alive. <laughs> uh, that. We'll save that for uh, the Doctor Who episodes. We're gonna do a Doctor Who cast next time. Uh, breaking Who? Yeah, Breaking Who? Run y'all! Run. <laughs> You'd always just want to go to the Civil War, the most boring <laughs> show ever. Oh, we gotta get it right this time. <laughs> I should be the next companion. There, I said it. Me and Peter Capaldi kicking around space and time. It's not so fast, space man. (laughs) Anyway, Breaking Bad. Uh, So, yeah, any ideas on where this could go? Any kind of theories about maybe where the next episode is going to leave us at? Because I have a feeling with the way Breaking Bad tends to do stuff... uh, when they pick up next week, it's going to be in the aftermath of the shoot. We're not going to see the rest of the gunfight play out, I feel. Yeah. I think it's a pretty safe bet that Hank and Gomez are either going to die or at least be incapacitated for the time yeah. being. Uh, I think we might end up in a scenario where the uncles have kidnapped Walt and Jesse and are maybe forcing them to cook. Because mm. it seems like it was the negotiation in, earlier in the episode, it seemed like a very, uh, this is your last chance, we're not asking after this type of negotiation. Yeah, I could see them very easily just abducting Walt and him finding himself in another Gus situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say that I think as much as I hate, I hate to say, it, I think Gomez is dead. I think he, we can at least write him off because I told you uh, the other day that that whole scene where 
you've got these three characters and you know these these four characters you know these guys with a bunch of guns are coming towards them you've got essentially the three leads of the show and a recurring character the red shirt of the entire series. The red shirt, yeah. I mean, like I said, the only thing that would have sold it more is if <laughs> Gomez just started showing, like, Hank pictures of his kids and talked about what he's going to do after he retires from the DEA. You know, I'm not going to die for quite some time, Hank. <laughs> That's my plan. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, we should have watched Talking Dead and heard that actor talk about, oh, I got a real good feeling that Gomez is going to live. <laughs> really? Is that what he said? No, I, oh. I don't know. But I was going to say considering Gomez's history of good feelings. Yeah. But but um, I don't think if he does die, there will be no one else who can replace him for the awkward looks in banks with lawyers. Hey, hey, I, I, I love that. This to me that is Gomez's defining scene. <laughs> Just awkwardly staring at people. Yeah. Hey, taking racism. One thing that I think there's credence to your theory about uh, the uncles taking Walt and Jesse prisoner because I saw that some people have theorized in the flash forward when uh, Walt sees his neighbor Carol and like how shocked she looks when she sees him uh, seems to imply that she thought Walt was dead. Yeah, when well, he does seem very like when we first see him, we assume that he's changing his appearance, but it could be possible that he's been held captive yeah. for a while. And going back to your theory, he could be going back to rescue Jesse. Yeah, that could be what happens. Maybe this next episode. Uh, hold on, I was gonna look. I know there's one episode coming up. I think it might be this next episode. There's only three left, so it's gotta be either this one or the next one. But there's one episode coming up called the Granite uh, Granite State, and Granite State is uh, the name for New Hampshire. It's the penultimate episode. It, next episode is called Ozymandias. Then the episode after that is Granite State, and then we've got the finale. But I feel like I think it's very much. Uh, I can see this either either they both get taken prisoner or they leave Walt for dead. And take Jesse, you know, as the best cook. They think Walt's going to die. So they leave him there to die. They take Jesse. Or they take both of them and through, you know, obviously the Walter White look. He gets away and he gets he goes on the run. And it could be him coming back. Yeah, like you said, his last stand to save Jesse. Or we could just take you know, Granite State literally and assume that they're going to freeze Walt and Jesse and Granite like they're Han Solo. <laughs> Jesse, I love you. I know, bitch. And Gus comes back in a Darth Vader suit. <laughs> oh, disintegration sector. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, this week I don't have much in the way of crazy theories because there really wasn't too much there to be crazy with. No Lindelof this time, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, we, don't need his wi- we don't need his wizardry in this episode. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to add. Do you have anything? Nope. Okay. I'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, you've been listening to Breaking Belt, the podcast where we dissect the chemistry of Breaking Bad. Uh, so at least for another week, stay out of our territory. Bitch. Look over what do you see? The sun is rising Most definitely A new day is coming People are changing Ain't it beautiful Crystal blue So 
Maybe tomorrow 